Once again, happy Father's Day to each and every one of you. I don't have a true Father's Day message this morning. However, certainly what I'm about to say is very applicable to fathers and to sons. Examples are very important. It is crucial that we not only set a good example for others, but that we follow good examples as well. It is certainly hoped that a son can follow a father's example, that a father's example is appropriate, worthy, godly, uh, deserves imitation. Paul had set an, an example for Timothy. Paul often refers to Timothy as his son. In Philippians 2.22, Paul writes, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Now, Timothy was not literally Paul's genealogical son. Nor was he actually Paul's true son in the faith in the sense that the Apostle Paul did not lead uh, Timothy to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. According to Acts chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So he was already a disciple, a follower of Jesus when Paul encounters Timothy. But nonetheless, he is referred to as a son in the faith, in the New Testament era, it was rather commonplace that uh, sons would take on the work of their fathers. Uh, they would be involved in the family business, if you would. Uh, they would be discipled, trained, uh, apprenticed by their fathers. And so if their father was a carpenter, they were a carpenter. If their father was an artisan, they were an artisan. If their uh, father was a businessman, they were a businessman. And so Timothy is a son of Paul in the sense that he's a, a follower, a disciple of the Apostle Paul, learning from him, being instructed in his ways. In the book of Philippians, in the section that we are now in, the theme is that Paul exhorts the Philippians to follow his example and those like him. The theme verse is verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. The Philippians are exhorted to be a part of the group that follows the Apostle Paul. They are to join in imitating him. For there were others that were already a part of this group, others that had already associated with the Apostle Paul, namely Timothy, that we just talked about. Epaphroditus was another individual that has been mentioned that is worthy of honor, worthy of imitation, uh, living as the Apostle Paul did. The way that they are to follow Paul's example is provided for us more specifically in chapter 4, verse 9. If you turn there, it's really the conclusion 
of this particular section. In 4.9, this is what it says. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So they are to follow Paul's teaching and his way of life. And they are not to be uh, separated or divided from each other. They are to mimic his teaching, the things which they had heard, and uh, what they had received, what they had learned, what they had been instructed in, and what they had professed to believe, and what they had heard and seen in him, meaning the daily life, the practices that he underwent, the manner in which he served the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was not among the many that would say, do as I say, not as I do. But Paul was concerned that people would not only do what he said, but also lived the way that uh, he lived his life. So Paul was consistent in practicing what he preached. And Paul gave himself as an example. And of course, he is worthy of an example because Paul is ultimately an imitator of the Lord Jesus Christ, even as we used as our call to worship this morning. And the book of Philippians, it begins with the example of Christ, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought not robbery to be equal to God, but took upon himself the form of a servant. And then it goes to Timothy, and then it goes to Epaphroditus, and now it goes to Paul. So we have these examples that ultimately reflect the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, we want to look at the reasons why the Philippians are exhorted to follow Paul's example. Reasons why the Philippians are exhorted to follow Paul's example. The first reason they are to follow Paul's example is because there are those who do not follow his example. And those who do not follow his example are legion. They are large in number. Notice verse 18. For many of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul is repeatedly warning his readers of religious leaders who do not follow his example. They do not adhere to his teaching, nor do they live a lifestyle that is similar to his own. Notice in verse 18, it says, For many of whom I have told you often. I have told you often. The reason that he warns them repeatedly is because it is so important. Notice Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now this, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. So it didn't bother Paul to continually remind them of the same things. He said, it's, it's not bothersome to me, and it is what is safe for you. You need to hear this. You need to hear it again and again and again and again. That's how important it was. That there were many who did not follow Paul's teaching nor way of life. 
Those who do not follow his example bring sadness to his heart. Notice verse 18. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you, and now this phrase, even with tears. So Paul is communicating this aversion to those that do not follow his example, but he does so with tears. It is not clear as to what are the reason for his tears or what are the object of his tears. Is he in tears for those that do not follow his way of life? Is he in tears for these false teachers? Or is he in tears for those that follow them? For those that follow the wrong example? And he's saddened that people are led astray. Well, I would say perhaps both are in view. That he's saddened by these teachers and he's saddened by those that are taken in by them. In the book of Romans, Paul writes this, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off for Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. As Paul thinks about the many Jewish people who had not identified with Jesus Christ, it says that it brings him great sorrow. It brings him great anguish. And three times he says in different ways that this isn't hyperbole. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. Okay, Why is he being so defensive? Because what he's about to say is so unbelievable. I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. My conscience is clear. I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Paul says, if it were possible for me to give up my salvation so that others could be saved, I would do it. I would do it. Now that's remarkable. That kind of commitment, that kind of thought. Can you imagine being so concerned for those that don't have a saving relationship to Christ that you would actually be willing to not only give your physical life, but to give your spiritual life that they might be saved? No wonder Paul says, I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth here. Uh, my conscience is clear. That's how grieved and sorrowed I am. So it certainly would be appropriate that Paul would be shedding tears as he thinks about these false teachers, wishing that it were not so. And then, of course, shedding tears for the followers of these false teachers. Why is he shedding these tears? Notice at the end of verse 18. They walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. They are enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. Those who do not follow Paul's example have set themselves in opposition to the work that Christ performed on the cross. They rejected the notion that forgiveness came solely on the basis of Christ's death and resurrection. 
rather than to receive the righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ, they're relying upon their own righteousness to be acceptable to God. We must not be naive. There are many false teachers today. We need to understand that there are loads of religious leaders, including those that call themselves Christian, that do not adhere to the basic tenets of the historical Christian faith. In Jude, it states, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I thought it necessary to write appealing to you to to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. There are many that teach false doctrine. And we need to stand in opposition. We need to be clear. In 2 Timothy, Paul wrote, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which thou hast heard from me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The things which you have heard from me among faithful witnesses. I didn't whisper these things silently into your ear. These were things that were proclaimed publicly. What I taught you, you teach others so that they in turn would teach still others. That's the way the gospel is to be handed down from generation to generation. But we're to have that same spirit of empathy that the Apostle Paul did. So again in 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the name of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So Paul states in tears, not with animosity, not with hatred, not with bigotry, but in a sincere heart of concern, says there are people out there that are enemies of the cross of Christ. And you need to be on the lookout. And you need to follow those that adhere to the truth. Why? The second reason they were to follow Paul's example is because those who do not follow his example do not have a pretty end. They don't have a pretty end. First, ultimately, they will be condemned. Notice verse 19. Their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. That can be understood in a number of ways. Their end is a waste. They will have wasted their lives. They will have given themselves to ideals and religious practices that one day are going to be seen as Worth nothing. Worth nothing. It will not improve their standing with God whatsoever. In fact, they will have no standing with God, and they will be separated from him forever and ever. They will be destroyed. 
they will come to an end. They are going to experience an eternity without Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate reason. Secondly, they corrupt the truth of God. Notice it says their God is their belly. Their God is their belly. Now probably in the context, the issue is that they are fixated on the dietary laws and their observance. In the context, he's talking about Judaizers. And they had so blown things out of proportion that these dietary laws ultimately become their God. It was utmost of of importance to them in their adherence to their religious practices. They were so committed to these things that that became the end all of all things. Either you were following the dietary law or you weren't. If you're following the dietary law, you were right with God. If you weren't following the dietary law, you were not right with God. That's probably what it means in this context. However, in other passages, the false teachers are motivated by and give expression to their sensual desires, their appetites, if you will. Okay? They're motivated by their impulses. They're motivated by their desires. They're motivated by their own understanding of what is right and what is wrong. But uh, they make the wrong object their God. And then thirdly, in this progression, they took pride in the wrong things. Notice verse 19. And they glory in their shame. Meaning that what they are taking pride in will ultimately result in their shame. What they think is praiseworthy in the end is going to be condemned. What they are boasting about is what is going to be rebuked in the day of Jesus Christ. Now, follow the context with me again. Let's look at Philippians 3.3. We were just here recently, but we'll keep moving on with the understanding of this book in its entirety. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, meaning that he spoke Hebrew, as to law of Pharisee, as to zeal persecuting the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He did everything that he was instructed to do. All of these things were understood as being praiseworthy. People would have been patting Saul on his back. But notice verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord. For his sake... I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. So what he once took pride in, he now views as rubbish. In our verse, 
that which they glory in is going to become a shame to them. Notice verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. That's what matters. Faith in Christ. There is no righteousness that is going to be had through circumcision and dietary laws and other laws that are established by human beings. What is important is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, these people are enemies of the cross. They don't put their faith in the righteousness that comes from God through faith. They put their confidence in their own worthiness, in their own self-righteousness, in obeying these man-made rules. They aspire to earthly attainments. They are associated only with this life and do not count for eternity. Notice the end of verse 19. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. And now these words, with minds set on earthly things. With mind set on earthly things. Well, what does that mean? Again, if you look at the context, uh, Paul states in verses 13 and 14, he says, but I do not consider that I made it my own, but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm not looking at these earthly things, I'm looking at heavenly things. I'm not looking at the things that are going to be destroyed, I'm looking at the things that are going to be everlasting. Now, Paul addresses this same subject in much greater detail in the book of Colossians. And I invite you to turn with me there. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2. Paul writing, same subject. Colossians 2, uh, starting verse 20. I'm actually going to read from the NIV, because I think the NIV is the closest in translation. So uh, you may want to listen. Uh, Colossians 2.20, NIV. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Boy, this is what false religion centers on. These man-made rules. Don't touch this. Don't do this. Don't taste that. Don't eat these foods. Don't practice these things. It's a bunch of do's and don'ts. Verse 22, these rules, which have to do with things that are well destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with self-imposed worship. They seem right. They seem good. The natural person looks at this and says, yeah, that's appropriate. It makes sense. In fact, it even seems spiritual, Paul says. But they have a false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Okay? These man-made rules don't actually change the heart. 
They don't help you overcome lust. They don't help you overcome the sinful desires. Sure, you can practice self-discipline and give up eating certain foods. You can practice self-discipline and learn to drive a certain color car. You can, with self-discipline, do all kinds of do's and don'ts. But it's only through the grace of God that you're actually going to be able to change and transform the inner heart of an individual. And so Paul prays for the Philippians in chapter 1, starting with uh, verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. God is glorified for this righteousness only comes through Jesus Christ, not through these man-made rules. Seems like it's a good thing, but Paul says it's not at all. They are setting their mind on earthly things, things that have nothing to do with eternity. So number three, the third reason they're to follow Paul's example is because they, what they, they, because those who do follow Paul's example have a glorious end. And now there's a contrast. First, there's a contrast in mindset. Paul's mindset is not on earthly things, as theirs was, but on heavenly things. Notice Colossians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. You don't need to turn there, but back to Colossians. Paul says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So forget about these things as a way of obtaining righteousness. And look solely to Jesus Christ as the basis of your righteousness. This stands in opposition to their being destroyed. Instead of being an enemy of the cross of Christ, verse 20, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not an enemy of the cross. We see the cross as a means of our salvation. And God will bring about a great change in us, verse 21 who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. When we are in his presence, we will be changed completely, dramatically. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually, we are going to be a new people by the grace and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And no earthly rule can bring about that change. So Paul concludes with an exhortation. Verse 1. Therefore, here's the concluding thought. Therefore, my brothers, whom I long for, my joy 
and my crown. All right, he's committed to these people. Here's his closing exhortation. Stand firm thus in the Lord. Don't let anyone shake you. Don't let anyone move you. Don't let anyone provide some kind of teaching that says, well, it's faith plus something. It's trusting in Christ plus doing something else. It's faith in Christ plus baptism of the Holy Spirit, or it's faith in Christ plus whatever the case may be. Hold fast to the idea that righteousness comes solely through a personal relationship to Jesus Christ. As soon as you are trying to establish your own righteousness, you are becoming an enemy of the cross of Christ. You're saying, I can do it on my own. We can't. We can't. There is no law that can bring about that change. Uh, Galatians 5.18, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance, self-control, against such there is no law. You can't pass a rule that brings about this transformation. So Paul says with a heavy heart, with a heavy heart, I tell you there are many that don't follow our example. But you follow our example. No what you believe and know from whom you have believed it. That's crucial in the book of Timothy. Remember, Paul writes to Timothy, and he's glad for his faith, which was first found in his grandmother, uh, uh, Lois, and then his mother, uh, Eunice, and he says that I am persuaded uh, now in you also. He says... In 2 Timothy 3.13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from a child you have been acquainted with the scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we think about Father's Day this morning, be grateful if you've had fathers and mothers who have taught you the truth of God's word, taught you what it means to be born again, taught you what it means to be saved, not on the basis of your goodness, but solely on the basis of the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've been taught that truth, hold fast to that truth. Don't let anybody dissuade you. And think about who you learned it from, meaning Think about their way of life. Think about the godliness that they have manifested. Think about the Apostle Paul. Think about his sincerity and the way in which his life was so different before he was saved and after he was saved. May we be that kind of example for our children. Uh, an example of what it means to place faith in Jesus Christ, a transformation that comes solely through a relationship to him. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to stand firm. Help us, Lord, to be on the lookout, even as 
The Apostle Paul three times said to the Philippians, be aware, be on the alert. Uh, Lord, help us to be discerning in a day and age in which doctrine doesn't seem to be important. In a day and age when it seems as if as long as somebody prays, well, they must be born again. As long as they name Christ's name in, in some way, then they must be a spiritual person. Or those that would teach us that they have a secret. Uh, there is something that God has revealed to them that nobody else knows. And by this secret, they can be brought into a closer relationship to you. Lord, help us to be aware of people that hold out to us five easy ways of being more godly. Uh, Lord, help us to understand it's faith in Christ. It's faith in Christ. It's faith in Christ. Help us to stand firm to the truth of your word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.